The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm going to get a t-shirt that says, Make the routine plays routinely. I love that saying from Mike Tomlin. He used it after the game on Monday when he was actually cheerful that the Steelers had finally lost a game to get that out of the way. And then yesterday talking about players not catching the ball. You got to make the routine plays routinely. Shereen, good afternoon. How are you? I'm routine, I guess, today, Mike. It <laughs> seems like routine. <laughs> well, no, it doesn't. Because the routine is now all screwy. Well, I true. woke up today. It didn't feel like Wednesday. Every day has a feel, especially during football season. Today did not feel like Wednesday because we had a game from last night that we were processing in the morning. So I like this football on different days of the week, but it makes the next day a little bit confusing for everyone who follows football because I think for a lot of football fans, today felt like anything but a Wednesday. Coming up, it won't feel like a Sunday in a week and a half because on Sunday night football, you'll see the Cleveland Browns. Yes, the Cleveland Browns coming to NBC, not because they were scheduled to be there, Shireen, back in April or early May this year when the schedule came out, but because of the flex option for the first time since the NFL adopted the flex protocol in 2006, the Browns are being flexed into primetime and... The Dallas Cowboys are being flexed out. What indeed is this world coming to when America's team is out and the chronically inept Cleveland Browns are in, Shireen? Unbelievable, Mike. First time ever the Cowboys have been flexed out of a Sunday night game. As you said, NBC took it over in 2006. And they'll play the fewest Sunday games they have ever played in their history, too. How about that, Mike? If if there is a sobering fact, whatever, for Jerry Jones, this is it. You're, you're not America's team anymore, right? You're not playing in prime time on national TV. You got flexed out. And so... He's going to have some big decisions to make at the end of the year. But nice to see the Giants and Browns, who would have thought, on that primetime dates in a couple weeks. Because the Giants, usually the last few years, we've seen them in week one against the Cowboys on Sunday night. That typically is the kickoff game. It wasn't this year. It was Cowboys-Rams. But we have seen the Giants play the Cowboys in that Sunday night game. And then we used to don't see them anymore. They haven't been good the last few years. So, Fun to see some teams that we don't normally see. We'll get to see them, and I think it'll be a great game. Cowboys-Giants was the game not that long ago and for a long time that the networks would engage in a tug-of-war over. Sunday Night Football wanted it. Fox wanted it at 425 Eastern. CBS tried to horn in on it when they came up with the cross-flex. Monday Night Football wanted it, and they spread it around as best they could. Now, anyone would would pass on Cowboys-Giants in a prime spot, although maybe with the Giants leading the NFC East, they would want it for the Giants' sake. And the double benefit here 
is the NBC game becomes Browns and a Giants team that has a gigantic market and a team that is relevant and is contending for a division championship. It's the second time this year the Cowboys have been disrespected this way. Remember the Packers-Colts game got moved to 425 p.m. Eastern, and they actually sent the top broadcasting team. Was that a week that Romo and company, or was that an Aikman week? Either way, the former Cowboys quarterback wasn't at the Cowboys game. It was Cowboys-Vikings, one of the only games the Cowboys have won recently that uh, that fell out of the top spot. But you know, uh, about a year and a half ago, I interviewed Stephen Jones and asked him in a very admirable, I mean, admiring way, not admirable. The question wasn't admirable, but the tone was admiring. Got to get that right. If I did, maybe I didn't. How is it that the Cowboys can continue to have such a great following when they haven't been to an NFC championship game in 25 years? And you know what? Maybe that pumpkin or wait, what is it? The chariot turns into a pumpkin. Maybe it's a pumpkin after 25 years. And maybe now is the time when people won't continue to flock to Cowboys games if the product they're getting is unacceptable. And you're kicked out by the Browns of all teams. I mean, yeah, that that that's that's crazy, Mike, that that would be the case. But I still look back at that Thanksgiving Day game, and it's still the highest-rated game um, yet, a regular season game, and it's the highest-rated TV show since the Super Bowl. So they still draw, but, you know, I, I think it's more people liking to see them lose probably than Cowboys fans tuning in because they know what's going to happen with this team. But this team is terrible. I, I would say it's one of the worst, at least the, the, the bottom five of the league, and that's why they're not playing on Sunday night football in a couple weeks. It's going to be the Browns and the Giants who are playing much better football, and I think just a couple weeks ago, Mike, we thought this Cowboys team was one that could turn it around and perhaps win the NFC East as bad as it was. And instead, it's been Washington and the Giants who've managed to turn it around and look like real NFL teams that could do some damage in the postseason, especially considering one of them will get that home game to start the postseason. Two quick points, and then we move on. First, I believe that any two NFL teams – playing in that time slot on Thanksgiving and also in that stadium because I think there's something special about the Dallas Cowboys home stadium hosting a, a Thanksgiving mid-afternoon game. We're so used to that, just that image, that that visualization yeah. that comes from uh, AT&T Stadium. I think you put any two teams in the NFL in that spot and you get the same number on that day, that afternoon. That's just tra- part of the Thanksgiving tradition. It would look weird to not have the Cowboys as one of the teams, especially at AT&T Stadium. But I think it's more about <laughs> the moment and the circumstance than it is about the Cowboys. Finally, August 5, 2016, I, I wrote on a piece of paper and I sealed in an envelope, not to be opened until August 5, 2021, that when I open it, this little mini time capsule I've devised, that the Browns will be regarded as a better organization, top to bottom, than the Cowboys. And it... It, it didn't look good for a while because there was an 0-16 in these last few years. I do want to, yeah, open it. Yeah, it's, I got to wait. I got to wait till August. But it's finally looking good. This is the moment where it's finally looking good. Uh, and the Giants, uh, they believe it's looking good for Daniel Jones to play this weekend with the hamstring injury. I just don't get it. I don't see it. I think you have to give a hamstring time to heal unless you are going to basically immobilize him in the pocket and instruct him to do nothing, put him in shotgun the whole game so he never has to try to run on that leg and and re-injure the hamstring, I can't imagine he would come back. You have to give him the time to rest if you want him to be ready to go for the playoff stretch run, if there is a postseason stretch run for the Giants to have, Shereen. 
And maybe it would have been different, Mike, if they had lost last week, but you sent Colt McCoy out there and he beat the Seahawks. And I do realize how bad the Seahawks defense is, 31st in the NFL and total defense. I get that, but he played well enough. I'm not going to say he was great. He played well enough for the Giants to win and that defense can carry them. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think you let that thing fully heal. He was limited at practice today. But you got to be sure that he can protect himself in the pocket. And it and it also, you know, the thing that makes Daniel Jones Daniel Jones is his mobility. And if he can't move and get outside the pocket and run for you, he's our second leading rusher right now. If he can't do all those things, I'm starting Colt McCoy. I agree with you completely. And anybody that's had a hamstring injury, and it's one of the various injuries I've had over the years, you think it's healed until you try to open it up. And then you feel it grab and you're set back. And, and you don't want that because then you have more time that you're going to miss. They need to let this thing heal completely. Time is the key element. And there's all sorts of other things they can do at an NFL facility to speed it along. But don't, don't put him on the field until he is fully and completely recovered. Drew Brees, we don't know when he'll be back on the field. Sean Payton addressed that yesterday in a visit to PFTPM. He said an injury like this is watching spaghetti boil, and you are just waiting and waiting and waiting for all those various ribs to heal. There's been some confusion out there about when he can return to practice. They waited until Friday of the Falcons week to put Drew Brees on injured reserve. He's not even eligible to come off of IR to practice until Friday. I don't know why that hasn't been crystallized because it's pretty simple three weeks from the moment you're placed on IR Friday he was placed on IR he can practice on Friday whether he will or whether he won't is immaterial uh, because he can't until then I I think that that was part of the strategy by the Saints to ensure that he would take even longer where he can't play he can't really push to play this weekend, even though technically he could, because he's not going to be able to practice until Friday. So I think they knew what they were doing when they put him on IR when they did. I think we're going to see Taysom Hill against the Eagles, and then the earliest we see Drew Brees is the Week 15 showdown against the Chiefs, Shereen. And, Mike, you made that point the day they put him on injury reserve on this show. You said it's three weeks to the day, so he's probably going to miss that next game, and you wrote a, a post on it. And you're exactly right. It it makes perfect sense that they want to rest him and heal him and get him ready for the postseason. Again, sort of like the Giants winning last week, the the Saints have been fine with Taysom Hill. They've gone 3-0. They're undefeated without Drew Brees over the last two seasons. Teddy Bridgewater, of course, went 5-0 last season. They can win without Drew Brees. Let him get fully healed. You need him for the postseason. He'll have plenty of time if he starts next week or the week after to get ready for the postseason. And then he'll be fully healthy for the postseason and ready to go. And you could put Taysom Hill back in the role that he played in the postseason last year when he was terrific against the Vikings, as you've pointed out, the best player on the field. Curious to see how much more Taysom Hill we see relative to what we saw before Breeze was injured when he returns, whether it's late in the regular season or in the postseason. I think that Taysom Hill has earned more playing time. And Drew Brees told Sims and me at the Super Bowl this past year that, and this was when we didn't know what Taysom Hill was going to do. We didn't know what Drew Brees was going to do, although we had a feeling he was going to come back, that Brees would accept a significant percentage of the snaps going to Taysom Hill. That that could be the case in theory when Breeze comes back from this injury. All right, Shireen, you participated in one of the weekly or so conference calls that the NFL conducts regarding the COVID-19 situation. What did they have to say about the outbreak that kind of quietly happened this week for the Carolina Panthers? 
Yeah, eight players went on the COVID-19 list. And Alan Seals, the NFL's chief medical officer, did say it was a gathering outside of the team facility, and that's how it spread. They were on their bye week. Players gathered, which they've been told not to do. I think we can expect fines to come from this, Mike. We've seen it with other teams before. But these players did gather outside the team facility, and it spread through these players. And here we are yet with another outbreak. But this one, unlike Tennessee and Baltimore, did not happen within the team facility as they were on their bye week. You know, the NFL reserves the right to impose these punishments. We've seen the punishments imposed. One thing that we haven't heard about officially, what happens with these punishments on appeal? I've heard that more than a few of these punishments have been either overturned or abandoned on appeal. It's about the message that you send in imposing the punishment and not as much about whether or not at the end of the day someone has to give up a significant amount of money. But in this case, it's been reiterated multiple times now, no gatherings away from the facility. The the players are prohibited from doing that. The union has presumably agreed to it. It'll be interesting to see what the league does about this because as teams fade from contention, the biggest fear for the league is that players won't be as vigilant, that they'll end up getting exposed, they'll end up having an outbreak, and we'll end up losing games down the stretch, maybe between a team that is trying to play to win to get to the playoffs or enhanced playoff positioning and a team that just doesn't care. Well, you should care because, as Kyle Rudolph told us weeks ago, you're going to lose your game checks if you can't play your game. Even if you're mathematically eliminated, you have an incentive to stay healthy so you can get paid for your work between now and the end of the season. All right, let's take a break. We've got an extra-long football pod in America coming up. Before we get to that, though mailbag and i think for a change i've left enough time so we can actually answer more than one or two questions we'll do that next here on pftpm all right quick mailbag segment before an extended football pod in america let's start with patrick cypher here's the question do the patriots have a chance at a lombardi this year although we would all hate to see it i wouldn't be surprised shireen your thoughts uh no and i think it's the first time since 2008 that we're not talking about Patriots in the conversation for the Super Bowl, and that's the last time they didn't make the playoffs. But I think the Bills are going to win the division, so they'd go in as a wild card. They'd have to win on the road in the postseason a bunch of games. I think this is a fact might unite right and might know off the top of your head. I don't think the Patriots have ever won a Super Bowl when they didn't have the bye week, and they're not going to have the bye week this week. So I say absolutely not. They have no chance. Yeah, I I think you're right about that. There's only a couple times they didn't have the bye week that I can recall. One was against the Ravens, 2009 season. They were blown off the field at home. And then last year, obviously, they lost on a Saturday night to the Titans. That run from 2010 through 2018, division title and a bye. Unbelievable when you think about it. It makes it easy to get to the FC Championship game. All you have to do is win one home game, and there you are. I'm not ready to give up on them yet. I said it last year, and ultimately the Terminator was killed last year, but... The Terminator is always possibly going to be back. And if I'm the Steelers, if I'm the Chiefs, if I'm the Bills, any of the other playoff teams, I don't want the Patriots getting in because once you get to the postseason, everything changes. We know it every year. We know it's going to happen, but we don't feel it until it happens. That single elimination mindset, the pressure is is higher. 
everything's more intense. And Bill Belichick's been there and done that. And they've got plenty of guys in that locker room who've been there and done that. I don't want that kind of, of comfort with knowing that one loss means you're done in the postseason if I'm one of the teams that maybe doesn't have that kind of experience on my sideline. So I don't want them around if I'm one of these other teams. If they get in, and Steve Kornacki had the percentages the other night on Football Night in America, had him at 21% to get in, I believe. I, I think they got a better chance than that of getting in. It doesn't mean they're getting in, but if they get in, they're going to be a potentially dangerous team. JR, the boss man, do you believe Alex Smith has done enough to be in Washington next year as the starter, Shereen? Yes, I do. I think he has shown that that he is a franchise core. If that's what he wants to do, Mike, knowing his age, he may retire after this season. He may say, I've done enough. But, you know, we're ready to give him Comeback Player of the Year award just for suiting up, not even getting on the field. And then he got on the field and we're like, okay, he really deserves it now. But he's done more than that. I mean, he's set career best, back-to-back 300-yard games for the first time in his career. He's had a career best Uh, passing yards in a game this season. He really has been good enough for Washington to count on going forward. So it may be a case where you draft a guy, whatever, you decide that Dwayne Haskins is your guy, which I don't think they'll do that, but whatever. I I think you bring back Kyle Allen and Alex Smith and find some young guy you believe in and start grooming him to to take over the team when, when Alex chooses to leave. But absolutely, I think he's been good. Coach Ron Rivera has already suggested that Alex Smith could be the future quarterback. There's an element that hasn't been relevant to the Washington football team in recent years, and that is they have the option to maybe try to squeeze him to take less. He's due to make $18.75 million non-guaranteed next year. You know, this year, they were going to pay him a $16 million base salary, whether he's on the team or not. That money was fully guaranteed, and it all goes back to that broken leg. He ended up getting three years of pay, fully guaranteed, because of the horrific injury he suffered as of next year they could move on or they could say we want you to take less he's got a cap number of 24.4 million that could be a preliminary hurdle two sides have to get over before anointing him as the guy moving forward another one from jr the boss man dallas is probably going to give mike mccarthy a mulligan for this season do you believe shireen that he will have to replace mike nolan as defensive coordinator God, McCarthy has been (laughs) so loyal to his assistants over the years. And then we know all those cases when he should have moved on from them. So that's the only reason I pause for a minute. I think absolutely Mike Nolan should be gone. And Stephen Jones said on the radio today that this is basically the similar guy, group of guys out on that field who last year weren't that inefficient against the run. Cowboys ranked last in, in rushing yards allowed, and they are last in scoring defense I think he absolutely should be gone. I think the Jones family will force him to be gone and probably have the Cowboys go back to a 3-4 scheme next year. Yeah, one or the other. you got to get players to run the Mike Nolan scheme or get rid of Mike Nolan and bring in a coach who can run a scheme that is built around the players they have. At Henry M. Huss26H, how do you judge the race between the Steelers and Chiefs for the one seed in the AFC? The Chiefs have two games out of four left against playoff teams. Steelers have three out of four games against playoff teams. Shereen, I'll let you have the first crack at that one. Well, I've already said I think the Steelers lose one, two, or three games uh, closing this thing out I, I just that that kind of opened the door to to what's going to happen here I think they just needed to keep winning because they were going to lose at some point I'm convinced of that and I'm now convinced they're going to lose one or more games the rest of the way and I think the Chiefs are going to win out I think Chiefs get home field Miles Garrett suggested the door is open to win the AFC North for Cleveland and you know what you look at that schedule for the Steelers Bills 
Colts, and then the Browns. Week 17, wouldn't that be something if the Week 17 game is flexed between the Steelers and the Browns into prime time with the AFC North on the line? Here's a real quick one that I'll answer on the way to break. On Tour Forever asks, do you think Trevor Lawrence will wait to see who the next Jets head coach is will be before making the John Elway, Elway, Eli Manning trade me decision? Unless they change the deadline, Shireen, Mid-January is when you have to enter the draft. Unless the Jets get a coach in place by middle of January, Trevor Lawrence isn't going to know unless they let him know kind of behind the scenes who they're looking at. So he's going to have to make his decision, I think, before he knows who the Jets coach is. What do you think? But but he could force a trade, though, Mike, or say, I'm not playing for the Jets. He could make that move. Well, that's right. I mean, but he would do it without the benefit of knowing who the coach right. is. He could come out and say, I'm entering the draft, but I'll never play for the Jets. Uh, or maybe he just says, I'm entering the draft, and then if I don't like who the coach of the Jets is, then I will apply some leverage, which not enough of these top quarterbacks do entering the draft. Football pod in America is next. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And welcome to another edition of Football Pod in America. Rodney Harrison, Tony Dungy, Mike Florio, and Liam McHugh. And we know at this point that all home studios from NBC not given the exact amount of equal love and attention. <laughs> I continue to come at you from the <laughs> attic slash interrogation room. It's cold up here, but we're going to make it through, guys. It's week 14. We're nearing the stretch run here. It's usually that time of year where... You look at teams to make major moves. Maybe it's a head coach. Maybe it's a GM. But we look at the Eagles because it's the face of their franchise. Carson Wentz, he gets benched for this upcoming game against the Saints. He was benched during last weekend. So now Jalen Hurts is in. Tony, I'm going to start with you. What do you think of the move in the immediate? And what do you think of it long term? 
Well, I, I think it's, it really ties into both. Uh, when I was an assistant coach with the Vikings in 1992, Denny Green told me something I never forgot. He said, if you ever take your starting quarterback out, know that it's permanent. Uh, you, you can say, hey, we're only taking him out for this quarter or he got banged up or, or we're trying to give the team a spark. But you've sent your team a message that for some reason, whatever it is, I don't believe in my quarterback anymore. I think Jalen Hurts gives us more of a chance to win this next game. That's not a good message to send unless you absolutely believe that. And so I, I think this is a watershed moment for Philadelphia. Yeah, and if you're Doug Peterson, you don't want to lose your locker room. So players expect their coach to hold everyone accountable in that locker room, regardless of how much money you make. And let's face it, Jalen Hurts, he's done everything right. He works hard. He's a good kid. He prepares, and he's ready for this opportunity. And Carson Wentz has been flat-out terrible. So I'd say give, give him the opportunity, not just as an RPO guy, not just as an option quarterback. Let him drop back. Put him in there for four quarters. Of course, he's going to face some adversity, but you want to see what this young man can do in the face of adversity when he faces um, the, the New Orleans Saints, which is one of the best defenses, not the best defense in the league, Mike Florio. Yeah, good news, Jalen Hurts, you're playing this weekend. Bad news, you're facing the New Orleans Saints. And my, my concern for Carson Wentz is this notion that to the extent that Jay Glazer's report from over the weekend is accurate, and I have no reason to doubt it, that Carson Wentz's confidence was shaken by the drafting of Jalen Hurts, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy if Wentz really was rattled by this. So now we see what Hurts can do. And if Hurts can't get it done... Maybe Wentz feels a little bit better if Wentz gets back on the field at some point. But it felt like it had gotten to the point where it was unsustainable on the current path. The Eagles had to do something right. It's a great point. The players talk in the locker room. They know who the players are that should be on the field. And they're at the point where they need to see what Hurts can do because Wentz wasn't getting it done. But my question to you two guys would be, how then do you ever go back to Carson Wentz if you're the Philadelphia Eagles? How do you go back to him? If coach, that's the thing. I mean, if you're a professional athlete, this is part of it. Sometimes you're going to play well. Sometimes you're going to struggle. And if you happen to get benched, then you have to pick yourself up and you have to be ready for your team. So a lot of times when you guys and I've heard you say this for over a decade that you can't go back, that you can't. Why not? Why can't you go back? That's your job as a player, whether you're starting or whether you're a backup. You have to be be prepared to play football whenever the coach calls on you. And my point comes with this caveat. You could go back to Carson Wentz if Jalen Hurts completely and totally fails, but I think for 2021, then you have a real problem. And the Eagles have a huge problem. They have $25 million already fully guaranteed for Carson Wentz next season. It dawned on me yesterday, maybe they could try to trade him to the Colts and reunite him with Frank Reich, who was the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia the year that Wentz looked like he was going to be the MVP. But that's about it. And if Reich isn't interested in Wentz, then no one else should be because Reich makes the most sense with Phillip Rivers on a one-year contract. But I think for next year, what this tells us, Coach, like you're saying, they've given up on Carson Wentz. Maybe he gets a chance late in the year to do something, but come next year, it feels like there's going to be a different quarterback in Philadelphia. Hey, Coach, Tony, let me ask you this, Coach. Do you see the Eagles moving out from him and seeing – I'm trying to think, show me an example where it's worked, where you've taken a quarterback out, a franchise guy, you've benched him, and then come back to him, and he's done the job for you. I, maybe there are some examples. I can't think of one off the top of my head. 
let me ask you this, coach. What level of responsibility is it to the coach? Because if if a coach is if a coach is trying to hold everyone accountable, that has to include the quarterback. I know it's not the same as everyone else because he's such a special, unique position. But coach, flat out, you cannot tell me that Jalen Hurts doesn't deserve at least an opportunity to see what he has. They drafted him in the second round. You know, I agree that you have to hold everybody accountable. Uh, I'm just saying that when you do it with the quarterback, you made a public statement that, yes, I think at this moment, Jalen Hurts is better than Carson Wentz. That's what Doug Peterson is saying. Now, when you say that, it then becomes hard to put Carson Wentz back in. That's all I'm saying. I think they made a statement for December of 2020. I think they made a statement going forward. Hey, Coach, I got one for you. I got one for you. I had to go way back. I had to go way back. (laughs) But your original NFL mentor going into the 1974 season benched Terry Bradshaw for Joe Gillum. (laughs) And that year worked out with Terry Bradshaw holding the trophy. Not that he did anything to win it that year, but he would later become a franchise quarterback. So that's the only one I could think of, but at least it has happened. It, It did, and I will say those were special circumstances. If you remember, that was a strike year. Bradshaw didn't come into camp. Joe Gillum did and started the season that way, and then he went to Bradshaw. But you're, you're right. That would be an example. And what is that, 45 years? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen often. Yeah, it doesn't happen often, right? So, guys, all ahead. I would say is this. if Hold on, Liam. If I'm one of those guys in that locker room, there's no way I'm sitting back on the sideline. If I'm a, if I'm Fletcher Cox or one of those guys, and I'm looking at that crap that Carson Wentz is putting out there time and time again. See, I played on a 1-15 team. I played when we had the number one defense in the league and we had the worst offense in the league. And even every day we would go out there, practice hard. We would go out there and play. And time and time again, it was an interception. It was a sack. It was a strip sack for a touchdown. And we got so frustrated and so bitter at the offense that we wouldn't even talk to the offense. And those are the type of things that you're going to be up against if you continue to allow Carson Wentz to go out there and stink up the place. That's all I'm saying. But, but, but part of it is it's not all Carson Wentz. Part of those strip sacks are bad offensive line play, receivers not getting open, receivers dropping the ball, no running game. Yeah, Carson Wentz is the quarterback, but a lot of that bad offense is not just Carson Wentz. Now, we'll find out. If Jalen Hurts may give him a spark, we'll see. Yeah, and if it doesn't work with Hurts, I mean, in a way, you ratchet up the pressure again on Peterson, and you look at how the Eagles close out, right? The Saints, the Cardinals, the Cowboys, and Washington. All right, so let's say they beat the Cowboys. Four-win team. Are we looking at a team, potentially, Mike Florio, that not only moves on from the face of its franchise with the quarterback, but Doug Peterson could be on the hot seat and they could be looking for a new coach? I don't know that Doug Peterson would be on the hot seat this year. I think next year he would be. There was some speculation earlier this week, and he was actually asked about whether or not he wants out of Philadelphia. He he said that he doesn't. I don't expect him to say anything other than that. But there is a strange vibe right now, and there are questions about the dynamics between the front office and the coaching staff. Is the front office acquiring people that the coaching staff really wants? And it's stunning if any of this is true because – This is the team that just won the Super Bowl three years ago. And then they were almost back in the NFC Championship game the next year. And then they got to the playoffs last year. And but for Jadavian Clowney's hit on Carson Wentz early in the game, maybe they would have beaten the Seahawks that day. So it's amazing how quickly the Eagles have fallen apart. I think going into next year, though, everybody's on the hot seat, especially if they can't find someone to take Carson Wentz off their hands. 
All right, well, they play the Saints this weekend, and I'll finish with this, Rodney. I'm just curious. Going forward, if money was no object and you were starting a franchise, who would you rather have as your quarterback, Carson Wentz or Taysom Hill? Um, it, well, it depends on who my head coach is. If my head coach is yeah. Sean Payton, I'm taking Taysom Hill. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So it's Eagle Saints this weekend. All right. Let's talk about that other team in uh, the state of Pennsylvania because there are no more undefeated teams in the NFL. The Steelers, they lost to the football team. Now we'll see them Sunday night in Buffalo against the Bills. Mike Tomlin handling this very philosophically. I want to read you a quote from him. Different points along the journey. You get a chance to learn about yourself, what you're made of individually and collectively. Takes a journey to reveal that. We faced a loss now. We get the opportunity to smile in the face of this. So, Rodney, you mentioned some of the bad times when you're on a one-win team and the defense and offense weren't getting along, but you're also on teams that flirted with perfection and the pressure of that. Is a loss here in the long run a good thing for the Steelers? I think so. I mean, I think it's a burden. It's off the players' back. I think uh, uh, the, the coaches carry a tremendous um, burden. It's just a lot of pressure. You know, every time you look up, people are asking you questions in the media. They're in your face. Now that you lost, you don't have to worry about answering those questions. Now you can say, you know what? And a lot of times, too, Coach, I was thinking of this. When you have an undefeated season and you've been there, you have a lot of issues that's going on on your team. But because you're undefeated, you have such a great record. Everyone thinks that you're that you're a perfect team. And that's just not the case for the Steelers. I, I totally agree with you, Rodney. We were in that position twice. I think we were 13 and 0 one year with Indy, and I was 9 and 0. And everybody said, "Are you shooting for this?" And you try to tell them, "No, we aren't shooting for a perfect season. That would be great if we get it. We're shooting to be perfect in the playoffs and win the Super Bowl. That's the goal." And you're right. This team had a lot of issues. Even when they're winning games, they were struggling in the red zone. They're struggling running the ball defensive breakdowns. They've got people injured. So those are the things that Mike Tomlin has to fix. And I think that's why he was so philosophical about it. Hey, we're not going to be undefeated. Not the way we're playing. We've got to get some of these issues fixed and it better start quick or they'll have another defeat Sunday in Buffalo. Last Wednesday night when they beat the Ravens 19 to 14 and there was a late touchdown that made that game closer than it was. Mike Tomlin's postgame press conference was four minutes of him being extremely upset. I mean, it was epic how upset he was to be the head coach of an 11 and 0 team this week. And, and, and I couldn't wait for it after they blow a 14 point lead, lose to Washington. It's going to be even better than last week. He seemed relieved. He seemed happy. He seemed relaxed. That burden was gone of being undefeated. And now, Rodney, to your point, he could go back to the players and say, the stuff you guys are doing needs to change. This loss proves that we need to do X, Y, and Z. And one of the things they need to do is find their running game. How can you have a Pittsburgh Steelers team that is a playoff contender that has no running game? And I think this will be, especially with James Conner coming off the COVID reserve list, an opportunity to re-embrace the running game in Pittsburgh. Guys, and I'll tell you this, just watching the game and not having Bud Dupree out there, that's a huge loss. Like, this guy was mm-hmm. having such a tremendous year. And then not just him individually, but the energy that everyone fed off of, especially T.J. Watt. Those guys were like best friends, high-fiving, doing their dance, and basically competing to see who can meet at the quarterback first. So I think this is a, a huge loss. I know Mike Tomlin, Mike, you talked about him being frustrated a couple weeks ago, and I think a big part of that was the fact that he lost Bud Dupree, such a premium pass rusher and an impact player for their team. 
I think you're right, Rodney. He he knew what that was going to do. Already having lost Devin Bush, and now you take another weapon out of that front seven. Uh, They're not the same on defense. They've got to get that figured out. Mike Forio talked about the running game. How about seven drop passes? Um, Can we get some receivers that can just catch the ball when it comes to you? Those are the things that they've got to get ironed out. Right now, they are a a possession passing team, and when you, you don't run it, and you're throwing possession passes and your receivers drop the ball, it's hard to move it. Well, and let me say this. This is a point Chris Sims has been making. Because they're doing that that short passing game that is equivalent to the running game, the defensive players know it's coming. Those guys are getting hit. No excuse for dropping the passes. But those receivers are getting hit a lot harder than they'd be getting hit if they were throwing the ball down the field. Well, it's a lot to figure out for a team that's going to play three games in 12 games and it finishes off Sunday night against a Buffalo Bills team that looked excellent the other night, and they're going to have to figure out Josh Allen. So now we have a new top team in the AFC, and it's meet the old boss, same as meet the new boss, same as the old boss, right? The Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. They're on top of the AFC. They're going to be taking on the eight and four Dolphins. Okay, Brian Flores, you'd have to say in the mix right now for coach of the year. So, Tony. What do you think he has planned? What do you think he has in store to try to slow down this KC offense? And what does he take away from what Denver did? Well, Denver did some creative things. Kansas City was a little off, and and I don't think they had their A game. You can't go into Kansas City or play the Chiefs thinking, hey, we're going to slow them down. We're going to hold Patrick Mahomes to 17 points. You've got to score points. Brian Flores will have a good plan. Maybe they hold him to 24. Maybe they hold him to 27. Uh, that'll be a great game for the Dolphins. Tua Tonga-Vailoa and that group, they're going to have to score points. So if I'm Brian Flores, that's what I'm figuring out. Kansas City's weakness is their defense right now. They haven't played a great defensive game in a long while. You've got to figure out a way to score points, Miami. And, Coach, everything that Brian Flores did in this offseason was about not beating the Patriots or even winning the AFC East, but it was about competing with the Kansas City Chiefs, go out and get pass rushers, veteran smart linebackers, a good secondary. And I'm with you, Coach. They're going to have to score points. And when I look at Tua, first I look at Tua, and I love this kid. He looks so frail when he's – he just looks so small and so tiny when, when you kind of look at him. So every time he drops back to pass, if somebody hits him, I'm like, oh, I'm just cringing. Is he going to get hurt? You, but, 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 yeah, they're going to um, they're gonna have to definitely be able to run the football. And that's one of the biggest things. It's not just playing defense, creating turnovers, but they're going to have to take some pressure off of Tua and be able to run the football, Mike. Flores said on Wednesday morning he wishes he could have 14 guys on defense after watching the Chiefs on film. But remember this, <laughs> Flores was the de facto defensive coordinator in New England when the Patriots went to Kansas City and beat the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, and they came up with the plan, Flores and Coach Bill Belichick together, to single cover the receivers and then have a safety over the top who always went toward Tyree Kill and always favored helping out and protecting against Tyree Kill, busting the thing wide open, and I expect them to do something like that. And, and, you know, we've seen what happens with the Chiefs. When it's not a marquee game, and they've got the Saints next weekend, they, they mm-hmm. tend to be a little flat. They tend to sleepwalk. They still typically find a way to win. But I just wonder, even though the Dolphins are 8-4, and four, is this going to be the kind of team that gets the full focus and attention of the Chiefs? And, Mike, those scores against the, the Patriots, even though the Patriots were winning the game, what were the scores? 
They were in the 30s, yeah. and they were going into overtime. So, yes, did Brian Flores had part of some good plans to stop Patrick Mahomes, but they, they had Tom Brady, and they scored a bunch of points to win those games. But, guys, even if you look at the, the game earlier this year, the Patriots did a good job of, and it really confused Patrick Mahomes kind of early in the game. They rushed three. They dropped eight. They had eight guys kind of clogging up those lanes. And when Patrick Mahomes dropped back, he was kind of, like, confused. And I think that might be something that Brian Flores do. He forces him to go the long, hard way, 10 to 12 play drives, don't give up anything deep, and just stay patient. If they can stay patient – Patrick Mahomes is a great talent, but he has so much confidence. He will throw it up and give you an opportunity to go up for it, Liam. So I expect Brian Flores to show those two linebackers, seven guys up, blitz, just show them a, a, just a variety of defenses. Yeah, you know the Dolphins are going to be ready, but you know more to Mike's point, this Kansas State team that has, what, one loss in the last 14 months, the Panthers, they beat them by two. They beat the Raiders by four in a last-minute drive on our Sunday night game. They beat the Bucks by three. They were up big in that game, didn't put that game away. They beat the Broncos 22-16. to 16. Tony, I know we're nitpicking because that's really all you can do with Kansas City at this point is, is nitpick. But does it bother you at all that this is a supposed great team that beats teams but doesn't just push aside and push their way through or tear their way through some of these teams? Well, I don't think they're going to be able to do that until their defense starts playing at a high level. And we said this all of last year. I didn't think they were a Super Bowl team because I didn't think they could stop people. In the playoffs, that defense ramped it up. I think they get bored, especially on offense. Defensively, I think they take a lot of chances. If you have a great offense, you can take advantage of some of those. They can play uh, games like they played against Tampa, where in the first half they stopped Tom Brady, shut him down, but Second half with the same defense as some of those balls now become completions and they give up 24 points and a half. So I, I think that's what they are on defense. But on offense, it's just a matter of how they attack the game. Uh, Denver, yeah, 22 points. Tyreek Hill caught a ball in the end zone. That was a, a touchdown yeah, pass. True. Um, ran, had another long pass that got called back for a holding penalty. Two touchdowns they should have had. Uh, got stopped on the one-yard line. So they, they were that close to 40 points in that game. And that's how that, that offense is. A bad day, you hold them down to 24. If they have a good day, they're going to score 40. That's what you're dealing with. Guys, you know what? I Like when you're facing, when you're trying to go back-to-back -back the, second, the second time, it's tough a lot of times because you don't really always get up for every single game. And so when I look at Kansas City, I've been in that situation before, so I don't look at them as like, oh, they have to blow everyone out to impress me. The fact that they're winning games in different ways, I just think that it builds character and it builds trust amongst amongst their players and their coaching staff. Um, if if I would have to say anything, critic, um, any criticism toward their offense is, like you, Coach, they get a little goofy with some of their plays. They, they, they get bored. They try some silly things on the goal line, and I think that's part of the reason why they've had some struggles in the red zone. All right, so well, their team right now. In, go ahead, Tony. I was going to say, they've lost one game in a year and a half, and that was 40 to 32. So <laughs> we, we can be critical of them. But, yeah. They, they, and they and also, let's win. face it, and, and we're nitpicking a team because you have to because there's no other way to go at them. And it's a team that you could say maybe wasn't that focused in a couple of games in the playoffs and then stormed back in those games yeah. and won those yeah. games, went to the Super Bowl, and then won that game.
Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. A couple of very critical swing games coming up this weekend involving bubble teams. Let's start with the Colts. Raiders, this one is from Vegas. Indianapolis, the last team in. Vegas, first team out. And Rodney, I'll start with you. You look at this matchup. How do you see this playing out? I just look at the Colts, man, and, and just watching their defense. They're a totally different defense when they have the big guy, DeForest Buckner, in the lineup. If they can keep him healthy, they rely on his physical presence, his leadership and everything. They have to keep him healthy, Coach. I, I agree with you. It's going to be the Colts' run defense. Can Josh Jacobs get the running game going for the Raiders? If he does, then I think they have a good shot to win. If the Raiders don't run for 140, 150 yards, it's going to be tough on them. The Raiders' defense is not great. I, I would see Frank Reich pounding the ball at them a little bit and then trying to go after the big play. So I, I think it's all going to be on the Raiders' running game and uh, that DeForest Buckner-led front seven for, for Indianapolis. You know, the Cardinals haven't won a game since the Hale Murray from a few weeks back, and I feel like the Raiders could step into that same problem. They won a game they had no business winning against a winless team. They know that that was a gift, and they have to have their confidence ultimately shaken by getting blown out in Atlanta, being on the verge of losing to the Jets, and now comes a playoff team with DeForest Buckner back, which makes a huge difference. I, I think that, that this is the one where the Colts move toward the field of seven, and the Raiders get closer to accepting the fact that maybe next year. They got an absolute gift last week. We'll see if it carries over for them or if it's negative the way it was for Arizona when they won on that Hale Murray play. We finish up with your Vikings, Mike Florio, and the Bucks. Last two teams currently in that <laughs> NFC <miserable>. playoff picture. <laughs> Cardinals right behind them there. Okay, you know the story. Minnesota, right? One and five, and now five and one since. So they're six and six. Tampa Bay has lost three of four coming off the bye. What do you expect in this one, Mike Florio? Well, I, I remember back in 1990, the Vikings started one and six. They won five in a row to get to six and six, and everything was pointing in a great direction. And here they go. And then they lost the next four, including a game to the Buccaneers along the way. So I, I, don't, I don't have a whole lot of faith 
especially because, number one, the Vikings have never beaten Tom Brady. Number two, the Vikings don't have the pass rush, especially up the middle, to get to Tom Brady. On the back end, they don't have the secondary to deal with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, and Rob Gronkowski. And if Michael Kendricks isn't, or Eric Kendricks, excuse me, isn't able to play after the pregame warm-up calf uh, aggravation from last week, that makes it even harder. And I don't know if the Vikings can run the ball the way they need to against the Tampa Bay defense. And the Buccaneers had two weeks to get ready. So I expect that after this game, the Buccaneers will be 8-5 and five and the Vikings will be done and uh, we can all move on and focus on the teams that really are the contenders in the NFC. Teams won 5 Mike, of 6 Mike, and wait, the wait, sky wait, is Liam. falling for Mike Florio. Liam, 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 Mike Florio, why are you so negative about the Vikings? They just came off a huge win. Over the Jaguars? That's a huge win. It's Barely a win. beating the Jaguars. Bear and coming from, from uh, d- double digits behind, they did it two weeks in a row against teams they should have blown out to the Panthers and the Jaguars, down double digits, and they had to come back and win those games. And, uh, you know, they have not had a great win this year other than the win at Lambeau Field. I, I just think that it's a lot of smoke and mirrors lately, and we're going we're gonna to see that when they face the Buccaneers. Coach, settle, uh, settle this one. Break the tie. Let, let, let me ask you two guys this question, okay? This is going to be a mirror image game. Both defenses are going to load up. They're going to come with all kinds of blitzes. That's the way they play. That's their style. Can which quarterback is going to hit his receivers in the face of that that pressure? Who do you have more confidence in? Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, or Tom Brady and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin? There was a time we wouldn't even ask that question, but I tell you what, down here in Tampa. That's the question that's being asked. Can Tom Brady deliver when he's going to be under pressure? And is he going to be able to outgun Kirk Cousins? What do you guys think? I I, I don't know, Coach, but I, I tell you this. If I'm Kirk Cousins, I got a lot of confidence going into this game because I'm looking at those secondary guys. I'm looking at those corners in particular, Carlson Davis. Anytime I see Justin Jefferson or Adam Thielen on him, one-on-one, I'm going after him. I'm trying to take his confidence. I'm trying to take every con- sense of confidence that he has. So if I'm Kirk Cousins, I feel pretty good about um, going against this defense. I tell my line, just give me a few seconds. We can work these cornerbacks. And remember when Tampa Bay, if they decide to play more zone, the Rams and Jared Goff absolutely just tore him apart in that zone. So I, I expect Kirk Cousins to play extremely well. He's going to compete against Tom Brady because if they lose this game, then the the Minnesota Vikings, their playoff hopes are done. And I'm That's curious to see what the Buccaneers do on right offense. Now. Yeah, I'm curious what, to see what the Vikings coach? do I said, that's the talk in the barbershop. They're concerned that Kirk Cousins is going to outgun Tom Brady in this game. So we'll see. This has been like a therapy session for Mike Florio. <laughs> it hasn't made me feel any better. <laughs> Therapy's supposed to make you feel better. And, and you know what, Liam? And you know what, Liam? You know what, Liam? I trust that Mike Zimmer, he's been in different situations. He hasn't always had. He's still got two really good safeties back there. And I just think that he's going to come up with a game plan and, like, he's not afraid of Tom Brady. Like, if I'm playing against Tom Brady right now, I wouldn't be afraid of Tom Brady, especially with all the numbers, because I know that they're not on the same page. But, Coach, you and I, we've talked about this for years. Pressure him up the middle, make him feel uncomfortable, jam up the receivers, slow him down, and you can have success against these guys. And Zimmer is an excellent defensive coordinator. He's going to make those necessary adjustments. Okay, Mike Zimmer, Zimmer I'll finish listening to us. Tony. <laughs> Uh, it's still, I hope so. He's just the shaking only, his the head. Only, 
the, the best hope the Vikings have is if the Buccaneers continue to not be on the same page about how they're going to run their offense. Are they going to try to spread yeah. the receivers out, throw the ball down the field, or are they going to try to establish the run, use multiple tight ends, and soften up the Vikings that way before hitting them with play action? And we've seen this every week. We don't know what they want to be offensively, and if they haven't resolved that during the bye week, then they have a problem. Yeah, you can't resolve it during the bye week until you actually get on the football field and start doing it. Because a lot of things happen, you know. What if their game plan is to go to Mike Evans, but yet the defense, then Tom Brady has to decide to do something different. So, you know, until Bruce Arians gets back to doing what Tom is very comfortable with, running a football and two tight end sets, play action pass, a couple trick plays here and there, spread them out, getting rid of the ball quickly. Tom's not going to be comfortable, and Tom's going to continue to throw interceptions. You know, I'm curious about that, Rodney, that last point. Do you, don't you think at this point that Tom Brady is essentially making those calls, be it at the line of scrimmage or in conversations over Zoom or in conversations on the sideline? Don't you think that offense is at this point going to be determined by what Tom Brady wants? That's what I that's what I've been saying. But you have to understand you're dealing with Bruce Arians and he has an ego and coaches have egos and say, this is the way I visualize my offense working. I want it to be big plays down the field. We got two Pro Bowl, three Pro Bowl wide receivers, tight ends everywhere. So I want to be explosive. He doesn't want to dink and dunk. He, Bruce Aaron's not patient enough for a four-yard game, three-yard game. He's like, why the heck did I bring this guy in if he's just going to throw four or five-yard passes? He wants to be explosive down the field, Coach. I, I agree with you, Rodney. We've watched this offense for 12, 13 weeks now. This is not the offense that we've seen Tom Brady flourish in. Uh, Tom's trying to make adjustments. Bruce is trying to adjust for Tom. It just hasn't hit in sync yet. Tom Brady is quick rhythm. Throw the ball, know where it's going, get rid of it fast, be accurate, and we haven't seen that this year. Well, we'll see what happens here. Mike Florio is going to remain quiet because at this point we, we're, we're kind of overdoing Amen. it, I feel like. As a Vikings fan over there in the yeah. corner, that's all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mr. Miserable, I love Mike Florio. <laughs> completely unconvinced. I've uh, seen this movie listen. many times over the last 50 years. <laughs> Yeah, you know the ending well. We'll see what happens. It's Vikings at Bucks. That's a big one coming up. And, of course, our Sunday night game is an excellent one in the AFC. We get the Buffalo Bills hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'll see you guys there Sunday nights. Enjoy the next couple of days. You're in guys, studio, guys. Han Liam. Right, studio that's Liam. the plan. That's the plan. Maybe you'll see me from the attic again. I hope not. Hopefully, I'll be in the <laughs> studio with you. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.